This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week for episode 353, two reserve members of the Batman Incorporated group, Danny Martinez. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, ready to be the next Robin. And Paul Jaisley. Hey there, humanoids. Thank you guys for joining me this week. We're going to be talking about comic books in just a moment. But before we get into that, I have two announcements that I need to make. One, the Goodreads Challenge ends on December 16th. This episode comes out right before December 16th. So if you haven't finished reading, you better get on that list. Make sure you've got a post in the Goodreads group that says you've completed all the books. Uh, you know, be honest, read the comics. They're all really, really good. And then you can join the upper echelons of people who are reading challenge finishers who will help us pick the January 2023 book of the month book that we're going to talk about here on I Read Comic Books after our annual episode that's coming up. And we have a banger annual episode that's coming up in January. The planning for this is absurd, but that's that's happening in January. You're going to hear more about that later. The other thing that I want to announce is that later this month, in preparation for the big annual, we're going to be doing this live on Twitch and YouTube episode of I Read Comic Books. It's going to be kind of willy-nilly. We're going to be trying all sorts of weird things just to see how it works because we're trying to do a big live push this year. We're going to try to broadcast a little bit more, just not just on our Discord, but uh, across the internet. So if you're interested in that, look for uh, posts on Twitter, look for a post on Discord and Goodreads. We're going to be telling everybody about this as soon as we get it all figured out. So keep an eye out for that. And we're really, I'm really, really excited to do that. It's going to be a, a goofy time. We're going to jump online for like two hours and just talk about comics and hang out for a little bit. So look forward to that. But anyways, let's, let's get into things. Let's actually talk about comic books here on the I Read Comic Books podcast. So I have two legally mandated questions i need to ask you and they are how have you been how have comic books been let's start with you danny well mike i've been doing really well since we last talked last night at the hangout uh thanks oh, for yeah. everybody that came out that was a lot of fun uh as i mentioned i have been watching a lot of halt and catch fire since we talked about it on the show i mean on the hangout uh, <laughs> yeah it's a really good show uh but that's not what i'm going to talk about today i'm not talking christopher Campbell comics although i should mm-hmm. and i could we also mentioned uh jurassic league yesterday in the hangout so this morning i read jurassic league numbers one through six which completes uh the story from dc comics this is written by daniel warren johnson and juan gideon uh with art by uh juan gideon uh issue three is by rafa garis and issue four is by john mickle and i'll talk about that a little bit more uh colors by mike spicer and letters by Fernando delgado uh so for those that don't know this is the a book that turns all the Justice League members into dinosaurs. Classic. Because Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you? (laughs) Uh, So yeah, the Justice League of Dinosaurs must unite to fight the villains and stop them from hatching the dark embryo. That's what this book's about. (laughs) Sure, man. It's amazing. Whatever you say, dude. (laughs) Uh, I I love the book uh, because of like the puns and the names like Grawl Thumb City and Joker's Art. And of course, like you get all this kind of (laughs) nonsense. Uh, sure. <laughs> the lettering is super cool because it says like translated from human because the dinosaurs don't understand how the humans talk. <laughs> like there's a lot of really cool details that went into this book. Uh, so what, what, where was this book? We did the big bombastic stupid comics thing. Right. I can't believe none of us brought this book. Up. <laughs> yeah, it was there for sure for the taking. Um, but I mean, even though we don't get Warren Johnson art, for, I mean, we do get the covers, but not interiors. Uh, Gideon's art is really cool, too. Big bright colors, big bright movements, like great action sequences that I really enjoyed. Uh, if you were wondering, uh, Wonder Dawn, who is the Wonder Woman equivalent, does have an invisible pterodactyl because I knew that was at the top of your mind. Um, oh my gosh. Okay. There's also a lot of wrestling moves. So you haven't lived until you've seen one dinosaur suplex another. Uh, 
<laughs> so yeah, there's just so many cool things. Easter eggs, a little homage to the Dark Knight Returns. Uh, mm-hmm. My main issue, because I had a lot of fun reading this, was that the art change in issue three and four, it took me out of it because I I, I don't think it would have been an issue had I been reading this month to month or at least as big of an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely tell it's different. And, it, you know, it, it's still good art. I just don't think it fits what had been set up before and then what comes after. Uh, mm-hmm. But other than that, I really enjoyed this book. Like, it's big, dumb comics. Like, I really, you know, the stuff I really love to read, especially just on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it went down very easy. So I definitely wanted to talk about it today because I think more people should read this. The collection is coming pretty soon, I think in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, that's uh, what I've been reading. But, Paul, what about you? What have you been reading? How are you doing? I'm doing well, Danny. Thanks. Uh, I I for, totally forgot about Jurassic League. I need to read that. I think I was disappointed that uh, Johnson wasn't doing the interiors, so I didn't pick it up. But your mm-hmm. recommendation... Mm-hmm. Will have me seek it out that collection. I've been uh, I've been doing pretty well. I've been catching up on the giant stack of comics I picked up from my shop recently, so I'm almost caught up on my monthly comics. Just a couple of things I read for today's episode. First one is 20th Century Men number four. Um, this is the miniseries from Image that is written by Dennis Camp, uh, art by Stepan Stepan Morian, and letters by Edidia Bidikar. Um, I feel like I always throw an extra syllable in Bidikar's name, but uh. Apologies for that. Um, this uh, this series is so good. I absolutely love this comic. I think it might be my favorite new comic of the year so far. Whoa. And this issue is incredible. Um, so I think I talked about the first issue a little bit when it came out on the show. And um, it's a very dense comic. And what uh, Camp and Morian are doing is essentially an alternate history of like a third a third world war that took place between Soviet Union and the United States, but involved like super soldiers. And this comic is sort of tracing the aftermath of that. And um, I thought the first issue was very dense. There's a lot going on. And when I read the next two issues, issues two and three back to back, it fleshed out the story a lot more for me. And this issue really kind of come, all those threads come to a threat uh, ahead in this issue because it's almost like you're getting a report of a massive battle between the Soviet Union and the United States in Afghanistan in 1988. And all of the dialogue or the caption boxes are told after the fact. So you get a Soviet history book giving their interpretation, an Afghani citizen giving their interpretation, an American history book, and then a Soviet journalist. And they're all disagreeing. Like it's that unreliable narration Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Meanwhile, you actually get to see the battle taking place as it's unfolding. And Morian's artwork is somehow both brutal and beautiful at the same time. It's a gorgeous looking comic, even though it's incredibly violent. And there's this amazing double page spread where you see the American super super powered American soldiers who are dubbed the suicide cowboys running into battle. And it looks like a Jack Kirby double page splash. I was like, oh my gosh, this is finally like getting some full Kirby in this book when it deserves it. I think this is a very, very important comic, a very special comic. It is very dense and it is kind of grim. Obviously you're dealing with war and uh, the violence and um, consequences thereof. But I feel like once this is all collected, this can be a very, very uh, celebrated comic. I think they're doing something special here, both uh, Dennis Camp and, and Morian with this book. So I really enjoyed this issue a lot. If, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, no, that's that's super exciting because I remember reading the first one and thinking I liked it, was kind of going to wait for the trade. But, you know, you're, you've sold me. I'm going to go back. I just looked on <laughs> Amazon. I can get those digital issues for like a buck seventy nine each with the Comixology Unlimited discount, baby. So like, pew, pew, OK, I bought yeah. those next uh, two and three. So 
yeah, I, I'll probably grab this as a trade. Like Dennis's work is always amazing, and I, the, just that first issue alone was yeah. artistically just impressive. So like this is <laughs> one something that I want on my shelf regardless. You know? Oh, for sure. I like I'm planning on buying the collected edition, even though I'm buying the single issues too, just because it feels yeah. like that important of a book. And yeah, it is super dense and is something that I'm reading it, but I know I'll get more out of it when I go back and reread it once it's all collected. So good mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Very good stuff. Cool. Uh, well, I guess for me, I have been obsessed with the One Ring uh, RPG. I spent a good 45 minutes last night at the Hangout just telling everyone about how cool this tabletop RPG is. Um, last weekend, I was out from the show. I was at PAX Unplugged uh, playing a bunch of board games and tabletop RPG games. And uh, I ended up picking up One Ring and I read it all week uh, instead of reading comics. Like for shame, I know. Like I can't <laughs> believe that I would do that. But uh, yeah, I, I was obsessed and I just love it. So I didn't read a lot of comics. I was just in the world of like Tolkien fantasy. Um, that's not true. I did read quite a few comics. Um, I read uh, Hellraiser Masterpieces Volume 1. I don't want to go too deep into this. I know I've given quite a few Hellraiser rants on the show recently. Um, this is by Clive Barker, a ton of other people. Paul recommended this to me and was like, hey, have you checked this out? Uh, Neil Gaiman has an issue. It's actually a Neil Gaiman comic that I like. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> um, that's not true. I like 1602. There's th- either way. Yeah. Um, a lot of other folks did comics. This really, truly feels like what I would expect out of a Clive Barker Hellraiser type anthology series. Uh, the Boom Studios run was garbage. Uh, this is actually good Hellraiser comics. It's doom and gloom. It's Leviathan. It's it's sexy and horrifying at the same time. Um, it's amazing. So I highly recommend that if you're in the same mindset of me and you want more Hellraiser. Otherwise, don't read this comic. Uh, <laughs> the other other thing I do want to talk about really quick, uh, or unless you had something to say, Paul. Sorry. I, <laughs> no, I, I, I think this is a very good. I feel this is a very good like uh, compilation of different comics. A lot of different styles. Yeah. It's not just I mean, I think Pinhead's only in like one or two stories. It gets a far yeah. more reaching exploration of the Hellraiser mythos. And again, you get Neil Gaiman. You get some very early Alex Ross artwork. You get Mike McMahon, mm-hmm. the, the Judge Dredd artist, does a story in here. Yeah. With Alan Grant, it's great stuff. Yeah. Great, great stuff. Yeah, it's it's a really cool book. And like if it wasn't so impossible to find in collect editions, <laughs> I totally would buy this. Yeah. Um, but just looking around, it's like two hundred dollars for this. And I'm it's like, on Hoopla. Nah. It's on Hoopla for I don't free. well, I, I mean, well it's yeah. it's a matter of I want to physically own this book. Oh, like sure. it's a it's a cool yeah. book. Um and it would be awesome to look at, but it's just I think out of the out of the opportunity so sure. um anyways let me talk about another book that i read uh this is all against all uh this is written by uh alex packnadel i don't think i wrote that down right yeah that's right uh casper wingard uh, i didn't know what to think about this book because i feel like i've had a varied past with packnadel's work giga kind of missed the mark for me i kind of really lost the thread on it maybe i need to reread it uh friendo was a book that everyone seemed to love and i, I feel like i missed the core idea didn't really catch it um, again, probably warrants a reread um, like with like a focused um, reading instead of me just picking it up because somebody said it was good. Uh, nonetheless, I picked this book up because somebody said it was good. And uh, fortunately, they were right. I actually liked this book. I thought it was really cool. Uh, it probably helps that Casper uh, Wingard's art is unbelievable and crazy. And like the palette they use for drawing is very, very strange. And I love it. Um, But ultimately, if you don't know, this book is about aliens who survive by inhabiting makeshift bodies created from the best parts of other species that they find in their travels across the universe. Um, They discover Earth, which is a barren wasteland after some great devastation, probably nuclear war. 
And but because we're smart humans, we've stored embryos for all of the animals on Earth just in case. You know, we, we've got this thing in Antarctica that exists today with like a seed of every major plant that we could ever need if, if the worst would ever happen. But they can't seem to find humans or humans don't seem to exist in this world, except maybe there's one human still alive somehow. There's some twists and turns and a little bit of a convoluted story to get us to the point of the end of the first issue, which is really cool. So I won't spoil it. But I will say this book, it feels like it maybe has some legs. I I think Pacnadel clearly has something to say about humanity and doesn't seem to be holding back with this book. The other thing I'll say is Wingard's art, like I said, is it's some of the most insane shit that I've seen on page in a minute. Like we have our, our Department of Truths. We have those kinds of books that are like experimental and weird and out there. But I feel like Wingard manages to take the comic format, you know, your standard panels on a page and still jam in a bunch of really crazy stuff. Um, I really appreciate just the wild out there, super trippy alien sci-fi stuff that they're doing. Um, nothing seems to make logical sense because why would it make sense to us as humans? Um, and I appreciate that they're really leaning and doubling down on that in the in the style. Um, so I'm going to definitely check out number two. I got to give this book a chance. But nonetheless, I'm keeping the bar very, very low. Despite the coolness of this book, I am worried that Pacnadel's has the tendency to overwrite. Um, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm excited for the next issue of this book. Did any of you guys check this out? I think Danny, you you read this, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, I I mean, I hope I was one of those people that you you saw that I said it was good and and, and that led Listen, you to buy I, it. I'm uh, keeping my sources to my chest. Okay. Sorry, man, that's that's me. But I also really enjoyed it. I was gonna pick it up regardless because it had a spawn variant. <laughs> so, uh-huh. <laughs> boo, boo this man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you you'd be surprised at how many of those I got this week. Uh, but uh, no, I wouldn't be surprised. No, no, no one would be surprised, Danny. <laughs> I I really enjoyed the book. Uh, I think the character designs look super cool, like especially for yeah. like the things that we don't know what they're supposed to look like. Even the things like that are from Earth, like they look super rad. Uh, as Mike mentioned, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mike mentioned the color palette, uh, and yeah, it's it's a cool premise that I, I definitely want to see where it goes. I've uh, Pagnado's work that he's done at DC uh, with the I think it's uh, DC versus Vampire stuff, like some of those times. I quite enjoyed, and it's always a weird art. So it because in the DC versus Vampires, it I guess the team chose to do like black and white with red splotches for mm. blood all over the place. So I think that that really adds to the story. So I, I think the same way here, the art really just brings everything together. So hopefully more people check it out, uh, and yeah, hopefully the the next few issues also kind of pay off on what we read this one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, I guess, Danny, speaking of, what else did you read this week? Well, another image book with another Spawn cover. Uh, if you want to see Spawn as a wrestler, you <laughs> pick up Do a Powerbomb number seven uh, by War- uh, Daniel Warren Johnson, uh, who I mentioned in the Jurassic League, but he's also done Martyr Falcon, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, uh, Extremity, just uh, really, really cool books. Uh, mm-hmm. Colors by Mike Spicer, letters by Rose Wooten. This is the grand finale of the series, which is, feels a little weird to end on number seven. But whatever, like I know it's usually a different number, but you know Daniel Warren Johnson just is taking up enough st- enough time and space to give uh, his complete story. Now this book combines a lot of things I like, right? Comic books, wrestling, kick-ass art. Uh, but mm-hmm. the thing I like the most is like under the surface of all those things, there's a really beautiful story about loss and grief and processing those emotions that I I should have known was coming, but was not fully ready for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this was, I really, really enjoyed duo power bomb number seven. I won't go into the details of like what happened because I think you guys, some of you guys are probably reading it and you should really enjoy this finale. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, really, really good stuff. 
and then I'll touch on another quick book as well, Immortal X-Men number nine, uh, written by Karen Gillan with art by Lucas Warnick, David Crow on colors, and Clayton Call on letters. Uh, this is a prelude to Sins of Sinister, which if you haven't seen the trailer that Marvel put out, holy moly. Uh, they're gonna make Who me watches <laughs> trailers for comic books. I don't understand. I, I, anyway. I, I miss motion comics, so the trailers really bring some of that stuff back. <laughs> the only one. You are the only person, <laughs> probably so. Um, but Mr. Sinister has been one of the most fun characters ever since the relaunch of Hawksbox, and even before that. Uh, but like, I think throughout Hawksbox, uh, he finally has maintained like he's been the same character no matter who's writing him, whether it's yeah. Hickman or Zeb Walls or or now Gillen, uh, they just take him to this other level where he's got all these machinations. Uh, and this issue, uh, it's just, I don't even want to go into the plot, just go read it. It's big, dumb, fun comics, but it it's taken a concept introduced by Hickman and it's just ramping it up to the next level, which feels insane with Mr. Sinister in the center of it. So I, I can't wait for yeah. the event. Uh, I'm very excited for you know all the extra comics I have to buy in January. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Immortal X-Men is probably one of, one of my favorite X-Men titles uh, at the moment. So, Mike, I think you're reading yeah. this series, right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm reading. Well, up until very recently, I was reading all the X-Men books. And then I decided that mm. I can't put myself through pain. I can't dread opening my comic reader knowing that I've got three issues of New Mutants to read. And I just know that I'm not going to enjoy it. Uh, so I dropped some stuff. But uh, Immortal X-Men is one of the ones that I kept because Kieran Gillen, Sysbury, or Al Ewing can't miss on the X-Books as far as I'm concerned. And this book is is no is is perfect. Um, I totally agree with you. This number nine, I, I remember when they introduced this idea of what Sinister's doing. Um, and I, don't, I won't spoil it because it's kind of a spoiler for Judgment Day. It's kind of a spoiler for this issue. I was so mad because of how smart it was. Like it's, it was so obvious. It's like there on the table. And for some reason, everyone's been eating around it. And then Gillen was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pick this one up. And then everyone went, Oh my God. Like that's where I'm at with this book. So totally loving it. I'm super huh. excited to see how stupid things become because of the way that Hickman and Gillen and everybody has skirted the idea of a multiverse without, but also allows for a multiverse to exist. It's so stupid. Um, so yeah, uh, don't recommend this. Don't read this. It's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but also, as an X-Men yeah. fan who's been like dedicated since the beginning, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, so one day, Paul, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna put you through a Hoxpox read, and we're just gonna sure. pick the the creme de la creme, and and that's that's what we're gonna read. But uh, and this will be in that list. So okay. Uh, okay but anyways, Paul, what about you? What else you've been reading? I guess <laughs> uh, very briefly, I will mention I also uh, really loved the seventh issue of Do a Power Bomb. Uh, everything Danny said is right. It's kind of like a perfect, it's probably the best wrestling related comic I've ever read because it really captures not just the sort of the physical action, but the emotional component of of wrestling as well that I love so much. And funny enough, I stopped at the comic shop yesterday, Saturday, uh, since we recorded on Sundays, to buy mm-hmm. my copy. The guy at the shop, you know, asked if I was enjoying it. We started talking about wrestling a little bit. I mentioned like, oh yeah, I'm going to go see some local wrestling tonight. He's like, I'll be there too. So sure enough, cool. wrestling and comics, bringing people together. So love to see it. Um, That's a, how were the matches though, Paul? I, I oh, was curious. Fantastic. The matches are always fun. Again, I, I think if people that don't maybe get wrestling, quote unquote, find a local show, you know, it's a smaller crowd. There's more crowd interaction with the wrestlers. You might just figure out what the big deal is on that level. So that's my, my endorsement. Cool. Um, uh, speaking of, uh, 
endorsements, I want to endorse one of my other favorite comics of the year, and that is That Texas Blood. Uh, issue 20 just came out. This is, of mm-hmm. course, written by Chris Condon with art by Jacob Phillips. Uh, I absolutely love this comic, and I don't know how a comic that started out about a small town sheriff became like the best horror comic on the stands over the course of the past few arcs, because the previous arc of this was about a serial killer, and it was incredibly spooky. We had a satanic panic, like child ritual murder story. It's all that stuff, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, this issue is a break from all that stuff. It is a Christmas special. And of course, like all good Christmas specials, it's about a mummy, a vampire and zombies like you all come from your Christmas Excellent. stories. <laughs> Basically, this it takes place during Christmas is why it's, it's called a Christmas story and it involves um, the sheriff, uh, Joe Bob Coates, hanging out with his, his young son, Billy, who's doing some drawings. And um, uh, Billy begins telling his dad, the story that he made up in his head about a mummy sheriff named Two Gun Common, um, obviously, uh, who has to go rescue his wife, the uh, princess mummy, from an evil vampire named uh, Wyatt Slurp. <laughs> and somehow there's a magic <laughs> meteor that brings zombies to life. Uh, it's a great comic. It, it is that sort of stream of consciousness, child telling a story. But because, you know, Billy's dad is the town sheriff, it's coached in those that framework of a, a small town west in the in the West, mm-hmm. uh, the sheriff having to bring order back to the town. Um, and what's great, of course, as always, all these issues, uh, Jacob Phillips artwork is incredible. But the way he, he uses the colors to kind of differentiate between the story that's being told and the, the him telling the story, the kid telling the story is absolutely beautiful. Like the the color for the story involving the mummy and the vampire. It's all that sort of like washed out sepia tones. It looks like an old Western. Like it's just, it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful looking comic. And I, again, I just love the fact that you can do a comic that I originally thought was just going to be like no country for old men, older sheriff, like losing touch. And it turned into a horror comic and literally one of the best horror comics out there on the shelves. And Hmm. I love the sort of tongue in cheekness of this issue is a nice sort of, really touching moment at the end between Joe Bob and his son when they're talking about why his son looks up to his dad, you know, the things that his, the sheriff Joe Bob has to protect his son from that he sees every day in the job. It's a very touching story about, you know, a mummy and a vampire fighting, (laughs) fighting zombies together. So classic. Yeah. Great stuff. (laughs) Uh, Well, let me talk about one last book before we get into what's on top of our pile. Uh, for me, I, we were we were given a nice advanced preview of this series from W. Maxwell Prince, Martin Morazzo, uh, Matt Lopez, Chris O'Halloran, and Good Old Neon. That's Art Brute Number One, which drops this week. Um, admittedly, uh, I want to say like Image gave us an advanced preview. We got to read through the whole series. I'm just going to talk about Number One because it's really cool. Uh, the overview is Art Brute is an artist with the ability to go into paintings in order to solve crimes of physical and metaphysical nature, such as who stole the girl with the pearl earrings earring with the assistance of the Bureau of Artistic Integrity, a secret organization that governs all of the artistic misdeeds across the world. Their new director, Director Breslin, finds Art Brute in a mental institution. We don't know why. We don't know what happened to this guy. Um, And she has to figure out why the Mona Lisa was winking and why people at the Louvre are suddenly dying. This book does not feel like something that W. Maxwell Prince and Martin Morazzo would normally do, right? Like, I think independently, maybe they would do this book, like not worth with each other. But them coming together for this book makes me think that there's something deeply, deeply sinister at the core of this series. <laughs> and in the first issue, we do get that kind of like 
darkness that you would expect from an ice cream man or whatever. But this book is actually a republishing of an old version of this same exact book. The lettering has been updated. The finishing has been updated. I think some of the colors have been updated. I think Chris O'Halloran stepped in to kind of work on top of the work that Matt Lopez did or something. This is all just conjecture and, and guessing on my part. But it still feels like Prince and Morazzo like doing their dark stuff on top of a weird campy idea, which they've done in Ice, Ice Cream Man. They did in Ha Ha. Um, so if you like their work, I think you're going to dig this book. Uh, this first issue feels like a story that many other artists and creators have done over at Image in the past, where um, even that book that that Mike Allred did, right, of Art Ops, that was like jumping through paintings and solving crime. I think the Mona Lisa was involved in that, too. And that was mm-hmm. the first thing I thought of. And I'm like, what makes this book different? And after you get out of issue one, you start to see. Um, but I do love that this issue kind of started with this storied character who we know nothing about. And then we start to get blanks filled in as we go. Kind of reminded me of Morrison's Flex Mantello series where Flex is this character that like comes out of nowhere and clearly has this huge history. And we get to find out about it as we read through the story. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for the rest of this series. It's four issues. It's going to be fun. It's Martin Mar- more Martin Morazzo art, more Mac WXL Prince writing. Good old Neon showing up to do letters. I mean, this book is it's going to be fun. And I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for everybody else to read it. I really, really loved it. So I highly recommend it if you can go pick it up on Wednesday. Mike, were you extra excited because you have been to the Louvre? Like, did you feel? Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, <laughs> I was remembering my 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 history at the Louvre. Uh, and when I saw the Mona Lisa, now she wasn't winking when I was there. But I did find it funny that like, <laughs> th- there's a lot of commentary in the book. I think W. Maxwell Prince is kind of like giving the finger to like high society, like people are just like, well, when I went and saw this painting, and I talked to this artist, blah, 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 like, there's a moment of that where Art Brute is talking to somebody. And it's it's pretty funny. Um, I do think that that's kind of the point of this book is to like give pointed commentary through the veil of this this main character who's who can go into the art and truly understand it. But anyways, I, I just think it's fun. Um, so, yeah, check this book out. I think folks are going to enjoy it. it comes out this Wednesday and it'll be four issues. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be a fun collection to have as well. So let's move on, though. Let's talk about comics that are on the top of our pile, comics that are new to us or comics that we've been meaning to read or comics that are coming out this week. So let's just jump right into things and let's start with you, Danny. What's on the top of your pile this week? Well, to stay on on theme, after you know, I'm back, so mad right now. <laughs> back in 1992, uh, a few artists left Marvel and created Image. Uh, go watch the documentary. They create a character named Spawn. Uh-huh. Now, 30 years later, <laughs> this character gets to hang out with Batman once again. So I'm picking up Batman Spawn number one, mm-hmm. written by Todd McFarlane. Art by Greg Capullo, inks by Todd McFarlane, which I love how much McFarlane loves to ink other people's work, Uh, and colors by Dave McKeague, and letters by Tom Napolitano. Uh, The synopsis, which doesn't really matter, but I'm going to tell you anyways, uh, (laughs) two dark heroes, (laughs) two dark heroes cursed by tragedy, find their paths crossing again, but not by choice. What sinister foe is at work, pitting the dark knight against the hell spawn? From the shadows of Gotham City to New York, which is pretty much the same city. Yeah, ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this epic event has been two decades in the making because two decades ago was when they first crossed paths. Mm. I- I'm a obviously I'm a big fan of Batman. I am in theory a big fan of Spawn as far as like he looks rad, uh, but I'm not gonna go back and read all the Spawn. I just want to read new Spawn every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like multi-publisher crossover, like, because that doesn't happen anymore. Like, everyone's so protective of their IP and, like, you know, like, oh, one can't win over the other. Like, Vin Diesel can't lose in a fight or whatever, Uh, (laughs) you know, so uh, so it's really... (laughs) 
Are you implying like a Fast and the Furious John Wick crossover? Because that's what I'm feeling right now when yeah, you yeah. said that. I mean, I would I would not be opposed to that. I mean, um, neither would I. I just they they've already hit space. Uh, uh-huh. So <laughs> John Wick is there. Another universe where John Wick is there is definitely the next right. step. Uh, but yeah, Batman Spawn. Enough said. <laughs> the thing that bothers me about this book is not that it's happening. It's that the image has decided to put spawn covers for every single one of their books. Like I was just listening to an episode of Contest of Challengers, right? By two guys who own a comic shop. And they're like, why would I ever buy the That Texas Blood spawn cover? <laughs> who's who's buying this? I am like, Danny. Danny. I, am. I know. You, I you know. know what else though, Mike? Not only yeah. is Image putting out variant covers with Spawn, DC Comics is also putting out variant covers with Spawn. Uh, so this month, uh, my whole Christmas gifts is just people, please give me money so I can buy comics at the comic <laughs> shop. <laughs> That's all I want for Christmas, variants. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. But, uh, Paul, what about you? What's on the top of your pile? Wait, no, a better question. Paul, are you also buying this? That's the, oh. that's the thing I'm wondering. Of course, I'm buying this, Mike. Uh, this would have been my pick if Danny hadn't gotten it first. I'm actually okay, super excited okay. for this. I remember reading the original Spawn and Batman crossovers when they came out when I was a teenager. Um, yeah. And again, you're getting Greg Capullo drawing Batman, which I love, and Greg Capullo drawing Spawn. And like my right. favorite issues of Spawn from back in the original run were the Greg Capullo drawn issues. So it's very True. exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, of if. Of all the combinations of things, like this book is clearly set up for success with two huge names crossing over, but like you yeah. also have Greg Capullo, you also have Todd McFarlane inking Greg Capullo, which like that's mm-hmm. a banger combo, like in any sense, even if this wasn't just a Batman spawn crossover, like I yeah. totally understand why. I'm just mad about the variant cover thing, but we, we could talk about that yeah. later. We'll talk about that in the break. That's a separate thing. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to mash the nostalgia button that hard, I can't resist. So yeah, I'll yeah, pick that yeah. up. Um, uh, so my, my backup pick uh, is Danger Street number one. This is a new mm-hmm. maxi series written by Tom King, art by Jorge Fornes, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, what is this? Another Tom King written maxi series about obscure DC characters? Who'd have thought? <laughs> um, hot off the press, hot off the trails of um, you know, Human Target, which is about to wrap up soon. Uh, Tom King's going back to the well for another series. This time focusing on characters that were featured in the first issue special, which was a series DC published back in the mid seventies which of course included such memorable characters as Metamorpho, Manhunter, Starman, the Dingbats of Danger Street, and of course my personal favorite, Lady Cop, who is a cop that's a lady. So, Oh. <laughs> that's only possible because of superpowers. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, Jesus. <laughs> I think I talked about, I read all those first issue specials a while back. I think I talked about them on the show before, and it's, it's very yeah. fun stuff. You know, it's they're, basically the idea is like each issue of that series was to be a number one introducing a new character a lot of them didn't really go anywhere so it's kind of interesting to see tom king go back because they're all in continuity apparently to go back and reuse these characters in a big crossover um the story as far as i can tell for this issue is that starman metamorpho and warlord want to prove that they have what it takes to join the justice league and to do so they summon dark side intending to defeat him but obviously things don't go as planned and they need lady cop to help them defeat dark side yeah, I, this sounds absolutely bonkers in the best way. And I kind of like the idea, I'm assuming, of Tom King doing something a little bit more lighthearted than mm-hmm. Human Target, you know? So sure. I'm very curious about how this will all play out. Yeah, and I'm very excited for this book, too. Go ahead, Danny. Full transparency to the listeners. 
Dangerstry was my backup pick in, in case Paul <laughs> picked Babin Spawn first. So, so you're really getting, you know, the best of the best here. Uh, I'm very excited just to have a book that has Jorge Fornes's art. Like, that's yes. all that I care about, honestly. Sure. Like, Tom King, fine, whatever. Um, I just want more <laughs> Jorge Fornes's art. So I'll also be picking Understood. this up, but this isn't my t- my pick. Um, I'm going to be reading this week something a little with a little bit more taste. Okay, not just these superhero <laughs> comics. All right, I'm reading a book called Accidental Sar: The Life and Lies of Vladimir Putin. Because <laughs> um, no, it, it, honestly, I was going to pick Danger Street, and then Paul had this, and I forgot that I got this book in the mail. So I'm, I might as well pick it. Um, this is by Andrew S. Weiss with art by Brian Box Brown. So like, obviously, this is an immediate read. I want to read it because it's Box Brown. But the story is um, the synopsis that they gave from Simon and Schuster was this riveting graphic novel biography chronicles Vladimir Putin's rise from mid-level KGB officer to the autocratic leader of Russia and reveals the truth behind the strongman persona he has spent his career cultivating. So I'm really excited to find out how much of a wuss uh, Vladimir Putin is um, and how it's all just a charade. Uh, <laughs> but really, it's Box Brown. I'm in. Um, I'm all for reading comics and books and whatever that give credence to dictators and authoritarians being dummies. So like, count me in. I'm sure this is going to be a goofy ride. Um, just like reading any book about, you know, Kim Jong Un or you know Trump or whatever. It's, it's all going to be fun business that basically makes these people look stupid because they are. So I'm sure. um, very excited about this Box Brown. I've just paged through it before the show and it looks really fun. Um, just from his his art style, telling this very serious story um, should be really cool. But that's me. I don't mean to insult Batman and, Sp- and Spawn no. and stuff like that. Guys, <laughs> I'm you know? glad you clapped on the show, Mike. Um, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. You, you and the you and the, the live listeners really have way more serious picks than us. So maybe we yeah we can also go. Oh yeah, those. I probably should ask them. I probably announce what the listeners are listening to. Sorry, I totally skip over that. Uh, Brian is reading Animorphs Volume Three, and uh, Aaron is reading Afterlife with Archie to finish up the Goodreads challenge because she's she's coming in coming in hot. Going to finish this up before the end of the year, um, but also because there's a lot of really good books on that list so make sure you go check that out as i said at the top of the show but let's take a quick break and let's and when we come back we're going to talk about the little known heroes that danny paul and i are into it's not x-men it's not batman there's other characters that we're into (laughs) despite what today's show has proven so far so we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about that when we get back This week on I Read Comic Books, we're talking about the things that you didn't know about us, which is normally Danny, myself, and Paul. We're really into X-Men and Batman and Superman and, you know, these huge bombastic characters that we love. But there are some little known characters or characters that we love that maybe you didn't know about that. So we're going to jump right into things. Uh, Paul's going to get us started. What's <laughs> one comic book character that you, maybe folks didn't know you you really dig? And it's just under the surface of who you are as sure. an onion, as Shrek sure. said. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, speaking of ogres, this one's pretty close. No, um, I think I've talked about <laughs> my love of the ever loving blue eyed thing on the show before. He's probably my, yes. f- I honestly, my favorite Marvel character. And it's weird because I don't normally read the fantastic, fantastic four. I am picking up the new series that just started though. Mm-hmm. But he's one of those characters that I think I really like because I don't see that often. So when he pops up or when I read a story with the thing, it kind of reminds me of how much I really enjoy him. And mm-hmm. for me, it's like really that idea, like, He's a dude that's made out of rocks, right? That's what the thing is. But he's like the most soft-hearted, like good, wholesome person underneath that. And I just love that sort of, that dichotomy. You know what I mean? He's just yeah. like a good-hearted yeah. guy. He puts on a tough exterior. He was in, in the Yancey Street gang. You know, he was a street tough. 
Yeah. But it, he has a heart of gold, you know, underneath all those orange rocks, which I always like that. And again, anytime you get him and the Hulk punching each other, that's just icing on the cake because that's one of my favorite <laughs> comic book things. Um, right. And I, I really like the idea, as far as I can tell, you know, what I've read is that you know, Jack Kirby, who created the Fantastic Four, really saw himself in the thing. And that's kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, the fiction suit for Kirby in a way like that, which is why the thing is canonically Jewish and like why he, you know, is this sort of like lovable loser kind of character. I think Kirby really modeled the character after himself, which I always think is interesting when creators do that. So I, I, I think, again, one of the reasons I was excited to start reading Fantastic Four again, because because it's a fresh start and, you know, that first issue that uh, Ryan North did was was basically focused on Ben Grimm. So it was right up my alley. So mm -hmm. love Ben Grimm. Yeah, but there and there was recently a, a, a Thing miniseries, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Walter Mosley, the uh, crime novelist, wrote it um, with Tom Riley on artwork. It's a great series. It's a very much a love letter to the Jack and Stan era of Fantastic Four and The Thing. It's way over the top. A lot of cosmic characters show up. But at the core, it's just this guy who's just like, I'm just trying to go on a date with my girlfriend, Alicia Masters, and all this crazy shit happened. Just trying to get back home. Like, it's kind of like the core of what makes the thing Ben Grimm great. Um, mm -hmm. So I recommend mm -hmm. that. And also, if you have not read it, find a way on Hoopla or Marvel Limited. Read This Man, This Monster from Fantastic Four number 51 by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. That is a perfect, perfect comic book. Um, it, it focuses on the thing, Ben Grimm, and really what makes him a unique character and why... Mm -hmm. That stuff, that early Fantastic Four books are so celebrated is a perfect comic book, in my opinion. Nice, nice. I, I appreciate the recommendations here because I feel like I never like it, it's really tough with with like team based characters, right, to, to find like what's a story that really defines them, right? Because usually yeah. like you're you're especially with the, like the Fantastic Four, you know, you're always like or the X-Men in a lot of ways. There's usually not really like isolated stories about those characters. So sure. it's good to see that there's at least options here for the thing. I don't know if you could find that with Johnny Storm or so much or <laughs> Reed Richards. Yeah. Right. Um, but then again, yeah. I think Reed is probably more likely to be involved in like capers and, you know, things like where you see him beyond just the family. So um, it's yeah. cool that the thing has those options yeah and i think uh, you know sort of the bigger thing we're talking about in this episode is like it's not that you know um these characters that we're talking about are ones that maybe you don't see very often which i think why i like them so much like if i got yeah. a new thing comic every month it might not be as exciting you know what i mean yeah uh but when they pop up it, it it's kind of like a breath of fresh air it's like oh yeah this character i really like i get to see him again so that that, that thrill of them popping up i think is maybe what we're talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Go ahead, Danny. And if you do want to see the thing fight the Hulk, you can read Fantastic Four <laughs> 11 and 12 from the previous run that just ended. Okay. Uh, that's the only reason I read it. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 I don't read a lot of Fantastic Four books. I'm trying sure. now with the new one. But well, yeah. most people don't read Fantastic Four, Danny. That's the thing that yeah. I think Marvel has yeah. discovered. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't help when you don't publish their series for three years, but that's probably a right, different right. episode. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, the the premise is that uh, the thing once a year, like Reed gets him twenty four hours to not be the thing, like with his watch, uh, and he, I think he wants to go get married to Alicia Masters or to go on like a okay. trip with her, uh, you know, as as himself. Uh, but of course, the Immortal Hulk shows up and ruins everything. Uh, so <laughs> I really, really enjoy that, and uh, yeah, great. just hearing hearing Paul talk about the thing just makes me want to go find more uh, thing centric comics. Uh, also, the Civil War times where like where the thing just flies off to Paris because he doesn't want anything to do with Civil War. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think those are a lot of fun. So some more recommendations if you want a more Ben Grimm in your life. Very, very briefly, because I just remembered it. 
Uh, in the Jonathan Hickman uh, Fantastic Four run, there is that one issue right after Johnny Storm dies. Spoilers. Um, <gasps> where <laughs> the whole issue is silent and it's just Ben Grimm feeling bad about what happened to Johnny Storm. And it's like one of the most heartbreaking comics I've ever read. And there's a scene where the Hulk shows up and tries to comfort Ben Grimm. And they kind of like, the way they comfort each other is by punching each other and then they give each other a big hug. And it's like one of the most touching comics <laughs> moments ever. And I just remembered if, uh, while we're talking about that. So yeah. yeah, I can't remember which issue it is, but it's in the Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four run. Yeah, which reminds me of the the moment where in Immortal Hulk where the thing shows up <laughs> and they like have dinner at the diner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those two interacting is pretty fun. I don't know why or how that became a thing, but I'm glad that it's a thing. Definitely. Uh, well, Danny, what about you? What's one of the characters that people maybe don't know you're a big fan of, despite your love of Batman and all things superhero? Well, I don't know if you guys ever heard of this little character named Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> if you have, yeah. in the 90s, he got a clone, but it was a bad mm-hmm. clone. So they gave him another clone. Uh, right? This is the one I care about the most, Kane Parker. So not Ben Riley. <laughs> Get that hoodie, you know, wearing you know, Spider-Man, get out of here. Uh, Kane Parker is mm-hmm. my favorite uh, clone. Uh, he is also known as the Scarlet Spider. And when I was started reading comics back in 2012, for some reason, Marvel really put him at the forefront of, like, some of the stuff that was happening after uh, after Spider-Island, the big crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He spun off into his own series. He moved to Houston, and I was like, oh, cool, that's in Texas. I'm going to read that. Because uh, where is he? Uh-huh. Where is he even going to swing from? We don't have buildings like in New York. There's there's two tall buildings in Houston, I think. Yeah, there is. Um, so, but but the really cool thing about Kane is that he he has like a, you know, he doesn't care attitude. Like, or at least that's the mm-hmm. kind of front that he puts on. He's a clone. He's got all this baggage. Uh, even in his series, like it said, all the power, none of the responsibility. And I was like, hell yeah, bad boys in comics. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it, it is unfortunate that we don't get as much. Uh, for some reason, Marvel and just people in general prefer Ben Riley when they're going to tell stories about the Scarlet Spider. Uh, mm-hmm. So it makes it very difficult for Kane to come back around. Uh, but whenever there is one, I think I think Paul really nailed it. One of the reasons that these are more of our characters that people don't know we like is because scarcity. They're not. There's not as many stories that we can find from them. Uh, when I was trying mm-hmm. to put mm-hmm. this, you know, this stuff together, uh, I remember the the Chris Yost uh, Ryan Stegman run from Scarlet Spider oh, yeah I really like like I enjoy I have all those issues I, I read them I've re- reread them since uh, I think that's one of the reasons that Stegman draws so much Spider Man just because he re- like they look the same right just different color scheme yeah but yeah it's a it's a really fun run and then Yost continues writing him in his New Warriors run mm. uh, so I highly recommend both of those unfortunately like. I could. I was also going to include the new warriors in this, but we don't have time to go over like this big team of people. Yeah. Uh, but the new warriors too, like they they get. I really wish we had more time to really explore them, uh, especially because I love Speedball. Uh, and you know, why do you love Speedball? Because he's gone through some <laughs> shit, Mike. Uh, yeah. Right, do you, do you like Speedball or do you like Penance, Danny? Come on. Uh, well, Penance just looks cool and. Yeah, but I don't know. Penance looks like a character out of a Hellraiser comic. Uh, Danny, what are you oh, trying sure. to tell us here today? That I'm yeah. going to start watching Hellraiser right after this episode. Finally. Let's uh, go. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, go go find some uh, Kane Parker's Spider-Man. Um, I do I do appreciate that they changed his look to not be like this deformed clone. Because mm-hmm. that was really hard to root for. Uh, uh-huh. Like, because he was just like, he was just evil. Like, like, you know, like it would because of his looks and because of like him feeling like the discarded clone, 
uh, it just made him a villain, but they've really made him more of an anti-hero hero type of person uh, currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wish we had more of him. I don't know where he is. Hopefully he'll show up to this uh, Spider-Geddon uh, end that we're getting into. So, but uh, Man, how many words can they tack on with Spider at the beginning for this mm-hmm. for these events? I, I mean, I guess Dark Web is at least feels original in comparison, but Spider-Geddon? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on. The, the only on. problem is Dark Web is hard to Google because it doesn't take you where you want to go on the first try. <laughs> maybe Ooh. maybe this is the Marvel psyop that we've been thinking about that's been happening <laughs> since the Disney acquisition. Uh sorry, sorry. Um <laughs> well, with, with that in mind, Mike, what about you? What's one of your characters? <laughs> yeah, I'm here to talk about uh the psyops. Uh no, I'm here to talk about Cyclops. No, I'm here to talk about uh Iron Fist. Totally unrelated. Uh so one of the characters that I, I've always had like a love for uh kind of in the background is Iron Fist. Every time there's a new Iron Fist story, I always try to check it out. Marvel has, you know, fortunately gifted us with a lot of really good Iron Fist stories over the years. But, you know, way back when Brubaker and Fraction and AHA were working on Iron Fist, um, I fell in love with it. The Immortal Iron Fist was such a cool story. Um, This idea of this kind of brand new take on this character, Danny Rand, and what it meant to be the Iron Fist and how the Iron Fist wasn't just this single thing. It was like part of these immortal weapons that span multiple universes and stuff, because for some reason, Marvel's multiverse is weird in that there are other dimensions but they're usually unrelated except for at key points like the immortal iron fist kun lun is in like another dimension and then there's other dimensions where there are different mortal weapons they all come together every once in a while for a tournament i freaking just love this series i I think brubaker and fraction do a great job of like turning danny rand into kind of this loser billionaire who happens to have these powers it's very hawkeye-esque right you can see how fraction went from this series to hawkeye later especially with aha at the helm because when you draw when aha draws uh danny rand he looks exactly like clint <laughs> um for, you know as hawkeye um so you can't put them in the same room when aha's drawing but uh nonetheless uh this series really like sold me on the idea of these this mystic arts and this crazy background of of this alternate universe where like kung fu and fighting is like part of the the established dominance and is this weird crazy world that iron fist lives in um so i got really into that as well as this the run that followed it immediately afterwards by Dwayne, Dwayne Straczynski, um where he focused a lot on the immortal weapons he did a mini series that covered each of the five immortal weapons that he had talked about um in his extension of the run which was really really cool the ones that i really liked were uh bride of nine spiders fat cobra the prince of orphans uh dog brother and crane like all of these people with like horrible backgrounds or really cool, like prestigious backgrounds coming together. Fat Cobra and and Bride of Nine Spiders have since shown up in, in future Iron Fist stories, which is really cool. But yeah, I, I realize there's like some problematic bits with this character in Danny Rand where he's kind of taking over this typically like Asian uh, character. Like it's very stereotypical in a lot of ways, the way that it works. But I think that Fraction and Brubaker um, kind of reestablished the, who that character was and since then we've seen that mantle pass on to different people uh, of different like ethnicities and stuff and it kind of works now more as like a mantle rather than like this white guy grabbing all of this power from an asian ancient uh you know a mountain and stuff so yeah it's really good i if you're looking for for that story that will like get you hooked i recommend the immortal iron fist by ed Breaker and matt fraction uh and david aha and then if you want to get into more of it later i think kare andrews did like a 
five issue miniseries called Iron Fist Living Weapon, which is really, really cool. I can't vouch for the second series that comes after that that he did that was like a Marvel or a, a Comicsology Unlimited exclusive. Um, it's it's OK, but I think that Iron Fist, a living weapon is really, really good. Um, so, yeah, really love that character. It's just just cool. Just kind of like a guy who fights um, and his best friend is Luke Cage, you know, so it's a good <laughs> stuff. Um, you guys, did you guys ever read any Iron Fist stuff? Because I feel like I'm, I'm like the only person I know that reads Iron Fist. Uh, no, I actually read The Living Weapon, too, by Carrie Andrews, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I really liked. Uh, I, I got to meet Carrie Andrews at a convention a long time ago. And oh, nice. He's a he's a other than an artist. He's also a director. So like that really plays into his uh, way of making mm-hmm. comics. And I think he's also a martial artist. Uh, so oh. like it really helps to draw like when you're gonna do Iron Fist like it really helps you to understand how that really works physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's a lot more augmented. I don't know. I never saw Carrie Andrews's fist glow at the convention, but I imagine if you really focus. But yeah, and I, I do want to go back and read the other stuff you mentioned because, as Ryan, uh, as Brian points out in the chat, I am a big fan of Mortal Kombat, and that's what you just described for that for Dude, that series. It's. <laughs> It's legit Mortal Kombat esque. Like, don't just read the Dwayne Straczynski run. Like, you got to read all of it, right? Like, there's a compendium that has like that entire run, but it's so good. It's really, really cool. Um, because yeah, like Danny, he loses his powers. He's got to find him again, and then people are like, "You're supposed to be the Iron Fist. What the hell's going on? You actually have to save the universe and get into this tournament because whoever wins, blah 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 blah." It's really, really cool. Um, so yeah, it totally is Mortal Kombat. Shit, I didn't even. I, never I, want, I want a panel of Danny just yelling. Somebody gave me a dragon. It's like I get my powers back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, oh, well, cool. I guess, uh, Paul, what's what's another series that you've or character you've been really into? Well, you know, we talked about uh, Danger Street and the idea of like taking obscure characters and bringing them back. And Tom King's made that his thing. But I mean, Grant Morrison really is the person for DC who's done that the most. So like, finding obscure sure. characters, bringing them back, breathing a new life into them. Um, and they did a series called Seven Soldiers of Victory back in the early 2000s, which I think is a great, great sort of underrated Morrison series. And they've, again, found some like obscure DC characters like well, at that point, Mr. Miracle wasn't being used, like uh, mm-hmm. Clary and the Witch Boy, Frankenstein. Uh, but the character that really stood out to me um, is, I know that's a whole discussion for, for yeah. another Sorry. another episode. We can talk about Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the character that always stood out to me uh, that I've really always enjoyed is Zatanna, the, uh, the mm-hmm. magician, because uh, she's a character that Morrison clearly identifies with because... Zatanna is a magician who casts spells by speaking backwards. And it's kind of something you can really only do in comics. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when she shows up, you know, she'll cast this spell and it takes me a second to figure out what is she saying? And just a word written backwards is what she's doing. But there's something very visually engaging about that idea. It's like, yes, it's not just saying it out loud. You have to imagine how it sounds. You can determine what it sounds like in your head when you're reading it. It's a pretty fun character. And she's had a few miniseries of her, of her own over the years. She was a member of the Justice League in the 80s. But for me, she's a magic character, and I really like the DC magic characters because you know shit is about to hit the fan in a crisis when the magi- magic characters show up. You know when Doctor Fate shows up, <laughs> well, when uh, the Spectre shows up, and I like Zatanna because she's like the most like sort of quote ground level of the ma- magic characters. Like she kind of mm-hmm. has her day job, which is being an actual stage magician. You know that she's always dressed like, but she also has a superpower where she can cast these spells and stuff. So she's kind of like the the ace in the hole you know, to stick with magician lingo, I guess, with a deck of cards. She's the ace in the hole. 
always kind of like a cool character to see visually. And I think if you want to get a sense of her, that her miniseries in the Seven Soldiers book that Morrison did uh, has art by Ryan Sook. So it looks lovely. It's a great oh, introduction snap. to the character. And uh, yeah, I, I think she's a character that she'll show up in Gotham every now and again. Um, she had a romantic relationship with John Constantine that they're always hinting at. So she shows up in interesting places and it's always kind of a thrill to see Zatanna, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I know I know Paul mentioned when like uh earth earth shattering events are happening, the wizards show up, that's <laughs> when you know you're screwed. Whenever Satana shows up in a Batman book, I know things are about to get like really heavy because Batman does, does <laughs> not do magic, does not understand magic, and Satana sure, right. just holds that over his head so much. Uh I also really appreciate that character. And now I definitely want to go check out the Seven Soldiers of Victory because every character Paul mentioned, I'm like why are they not using this character more in in the books? Right. Exactly. Why isn't Frankenstein yeah. part of the Trinity? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds really cool. I've I've yeah. only read a handful of books featuring Zatanna, and I think they've uh-huh. all been John Constantine related. Sure. Um, but I do love the bit of uh of like them at one point having a relationship and him just and she being like a smarter magician than him, uh-huh. <laughs> he yeah. may be more powerful in in some ways, but she's clearly like more like smarter about it. And so she always is lording that over him. Like, John, you're going to get yourself killed because you're so stupid. Um, I've always appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I do think her character design is funny in that, like, she's just she's dressed up like a sideshow act at like a, on like a stage show. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. kind of goofy. It, it's it, misdirection. It goofy. It's yeah, misdirection. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and the whole idea is like she was trained by her father, who was a stage magician. Right. So it's kind of like the right. outfit she's always worn. If you want to go back and read the when she was in the Justice League in the eighties, she had a very different costume design, which is even dumber. So I'll let oh, you look good. it up if you're interested. It's <laughs> I'm glad they got rid of that one. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, well, Danny, what's what's another pick of yours? What's another character you're into that folks may not know? Well, uh, I, I I looked through the list and I, I realized I picked a lot of characters that have multiple iterations uh so sure. this one i want to talk about blue beetle but mm-hmm. not the ted Cord blue beetle not the rich billion billionaire although i do like i love blue beetle and booster gold uh mm-hmm. but i want to talk about jaime reyes uh blue beetle he's the third in, in iteration of blue beetle uh but to me he's the most interesting version uh because i really like that he's more of a ground level character obviously i can relate more because he's also a land character uh, and then he gets taken over by this scare of uh, technology that's malfunctioning. So like all those things, it's almost as if you combine like like a Venom symbiote type of thing with like, uh, you know, I, just a regular character that has these troubles. I guess that's Spider-Man and Venom. Uh, but I, <laughs> yeah. I was putting it together in my head. I was like, oh, that's just Spider-Man and Venom. Uh, but then he also <laughs> just like he has to deal with problems similar to what I kind of grew up like with his family and like those same things. Uh, so that was when I finally discovered him uh, and he's only been around since like 2006. So it's not even like mm-hmm. that old, old of a character, uh, which leads again to not having as much to read. Uh, but yeah, I really love like all the teenage problems that he has to go through. Uh, and then the powers that come with like the scarab, they open a door to like the cosmic DC universe, right? The, the, mm. the rain, I think it's called, or, and, and if you haven't seen young justice, I really recommend you check that out. He's such an important character in that series. And that that kind of led me to look for more stuff as I was looking in the comics. Luckily, we recently got a new series called uh, Blue Beetle Graduation Day, which was also put out in Spanish, which is the version I read. Oh, nice. So 
I really, it's it's my first Spanish comic book that I own physically, which is really, really cool. That's awesome, dude. So yeah, it's just Jaime graduating high school, dealing with regular problems, but of course, the cosmic problems always follow him. Uh, and even the Justice League has to tell him, look, you can't join us at the time because you come with all this baggage. So maybe you should stop being a superhero. <laughs> Superman tells him that in Spanish. Uh, so it really hurt. Wow. <laughs> it really hurt to read all that. <laughs> Uh, like maybe you should take a break from being a superhero. Um, so. Was it that they have they already have enough baggage or what? Is yeah, it yeah. is that yeah. The, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> like Batman. Well, Batman's got the money to pay for the for the overweight charge there. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you're saying that he can't join because he's poor? Oh my god. Okay, so the wow. Justice League is getting canceled right now <laughs> here should. on IRCB. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I love Jaime Reyes. I wish there was more books to read about him, but at least we have this new series. We have a, an old series from 2006. That one is kind of hit or miss uh, because I don't mm-hmm. know that uh, the team fully understood what the character really could be, uh, like like the like the TV show or this new series. But I'm glad mm-hmm. that they are letting creators handle this uh, character that probably grew up watching him, and they're like, "Oh, that's a really cool character. I I want to write him and stuff." So. Really mm-hmm. recommend that new series. And it just started as a perfect jumping on point for more Jaime Reyes. Cool. Well, let's see. Let me let me get into the last one that I've got here. And we'll talk sure. about Paul. You've got a couple more. We'll get into those yeah. two. So, yeah. So I, I cheated and I didn't pick just one character, but I picked a team because I'm sorry. I couldn't just pick one person out of this team because really they don't have singular stories. Um, and that is the Runaways. Uh, if, you've, if you've never read the Runaways, highly recommend it. Go read Brian K. Vaughn's original volume one. It's it has its bumps because of the time in which it was published. But nonetheless, I think the concept is still very solid. Um, the idea of these uh, six kids who get together every, like once or twice a year, maybe a couple times a year. Some of them see each other more often than others. And they get together one night um, because their parents are all getting together to meet. And they discover that their parents are supervillains and they don't know what to do. We've got Alex Wilder, who is like a, a kind of a prodigal genius kid. We've got Chase Stein, whose parents are inventors, and he's kind of a dummy, but he's got a lot of heart. Uh, Gertrude Yorks, who's kind of just an angry teenager, and she turns out has a pet dinosaur um we'll get to that later um carolina dean who is an alien question mark uh molly hayes spoilers is a mutant and nico minoro who is who has magical powers given to her from her family's bloodline that comes out when she hurts her or when she gets injured the staff comes out of her body and she can cast spells these kids discover their powers and their various abilities in this first volume and who their parents really are and i just love the way that brian k vaughn presented these characters and the way that they developed over the multiple volumes he did uh joss whedon like also wrote some of this book despite you know <laughs> him being a very problematic person um kind of a shithead and uh but nonetheless continued the story and ever since then there hasn't really been a runaway story there was like random one-offs and event tie-ins because at some point somebody decided if marvel hey we also have that team let's give them a three-issue tie-in to this series during events um which is always nice to be able to read them but like really like every single one of these characters is super lovable super interesting they all have their interest you know, own dynamics and you know things change over time there's a big climactic thing that happens um i won't spoil anything some characters join the team some characters leave the teams um there's relationships that are built between folks and i know i raved about the uh, rainbow rowell series when it was come out came out because it felt like a perfect sequel to the original run of runaways um it included all of the different pieces that made the story really really good of course rainbow rowell perfect at writing teenage drama so of course the series was good because of that but 
yeah, I've always loved these characters and I feel like I go way out of my way to even understand the context of events at this point to figure out, oh, this is a new runaway story. Can I read these couple of issues just because I want more of those kids? So when the the runaways run that came out very recently came out, I was obviously over the moon. Um, but folks may not have known that I've been like reading that series like almost since it came out. And it's always been like my, oh, is there is there new Runaways as I show up at the shop or look through the diamond book, me just peeking over the counter as if I'm like a nine-year-old kid. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the Runaways. They're great. I mean, my favorite Runaways are Joan Jett, Lita Ford, uh, Shree Curry, and Sam <laughs> oh, yeah. West. Mute his microphone, so Danny. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, all, all music jokes aside, like I, I've known about the Runaway series, but I've never read yeah. it. It's one of the things that people always, people that read it absolutely love it. So it's, it's always kind of been in my periphery. I do need to sit down one of these days and finally read that stuff because I know it's beloved. Yeah, I'm, it's weird. It's interesting because I think that the Runaways are great. But however, if you are not into like teenagers being dramatic you don't read this book you're not gonna like it, it period because that is like the thing that like makes these stories interesting really good super heroic stuff really fun bits like it's a very funny comic book but at the same time like the thing that makes it the most interesting is the non-stop drama <laughs> um, and if that's not your thing like i don't think you're, you're gonna dig it but sure you know also, Rainbow Rowell draws some really or, or has written some really good characters. And I think that Chris Anka drew some very, very beautiful people. So like that may also be a draw sure. if you get yeah. to the later series. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really I read some of the older runaway stuff when the show was announced to be canceled because uh, yeah. I watched the first few episodes of the show. I was like, OK, I'll wait till this is done. But then they're like, oh, we're not making any more after this. So like, I don't right. want to. You're, you're the reason why, Danny, by the way. Because I watched oh, that's the show. Why can't... The one... Oh, because you... I stopped watching the show. Because <laughs> you stopped. <laughs> see, they, they're like, see, people are falling off after two or three well, episodes. Well, they shouldn't you release well all of it at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's really cool. I, I like the characters a lot. I like the dynamics. Uh, I think anytime a, a group of teenagers get together in the Marvel Universe, you know, things are going to go haywire. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's the kind of stuff I like. The school stuff and all that stuff. Uh, it, it is nice to see Nico show up. Like any anytime there's like a magic thing happening, either Doctor yeah. Strange or the Strange Academy or like stuff like that, Nico Minaro shows up, and you're like, oh, look how far she's come. She's fully mastered know, her powers. Right? Uh, so <laughs> yeah. really, really fun stuff. Yeah, she she is a character that she shows up in Strange Academy as one of the teachers for a minute, right? We also get other characters like Magic um, from the X-Men and a couple of other like uh, Magic users in the universe. Uh, that's really fun. You know, Brother Voodoo is like the head of the of the Academy um, and you get a bunch of other magical folks and it's really fun. But uh, yeah, so I don't know, Paul, if you try it, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. But yeah, again, if you're not sure. into soap operas, probably not your thing. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, speaking of superhero soap operas, I do have to Ooh. mention, look, I mean, it seems weird to say that he's uh, a deep cut character or not known because he's been around for decades. He's perpetually a member of the Justice League. And that's the Mar Martian Manhunter. I've always loved mm. this character. He is canonically as strong as Superman. Plus, he can shapeshift. Plus, he's a telepath. He's basically the strongest member of the Justice League when you think about it. But he's so humble to always be the perpetual team player. You know, every time they reboot the Justice League, I kind of hope he shows up because in my mind, he's always been that member. And he's had a few solo series. I think um, Rob Williams did a, 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 a Martian Manhunter solo series a couple of years ago that I really enjoyed. But something about him being in the team dynamic, he is the, the conscience of the Justice League. Uh, whenever they have to do a mission, he kind of links everybody to telepathically. He's He is kind of the core of that team for me. And the best example of that is the Justice League International series from the late 80s that Keith Giffen and GM Dematius wrote mm -hmm. and Kevin McGuire did the artwork and all that stuff. If you want to know more about the side characters that show up in uh, Human Target, they're all members of that version of the Justice League International. So that's where all those characters ah, come from. 
Okay. okay. And why they're all connected. So, and that's great stuff. You get to see basically them doing a superhero version of an 80s soap opera in that book. It's very funny. It's over the top. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty ridiculous at times, but uh, it's a good team dynamic, all linked together, I think, by the Martian Manhunter, who is kind of like the one holdover from the original Justice League that's kind of still there at that point. And in that series, they they introduced the idea that Martian Manhunter really loves to eat Oreos. That's his favorite thing. And I love mm-hmm. Oreos too. So, I mean, I wonder if that makes the character <laughs> canonically vegan. I don't know. I like to think mm-hmm. so. So yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so he's kind of like low key for me, like a character that I've always really enjoyed. Yeah. Brian in the chat says his weakness is also a lot easier to get. And I didn't know what Martian Manhunter's weakness was. So I looked it up <laughs> and it's fear of fire. <laughs> yeah. Like shit, dude. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I guess, I guess it's not as bad as yellow. Right. I don't know. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's a liability. There's usually a lot of fire yeah. happening in superhero fights. So right. how about right. yellow right. fire? You could take two out. <laughs> yellow, you take out two of the Justice League, boom. Yellow fire <laughs> kryptonite, right? This is like Lex wow. Luthor's ultimate bomb against the don't, JLI. Yeah. Don't let the uh the um uh lead, Legion of Doom hear you say that because they haven't <laughs> put too late. together yet. It's too late, man. It's too late. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to mention, I appreciate Martian Manhunter a lot because in the recent uh, Scott Snyder run, he made he put him at the center of uh, mm-hmm. of the Justice League. Like he was kind of the heart. Yeah. He was always at the tower uh, and communicate. Like he had everyone on telepathic comlinks all the time. Uh, and I think that arc that he goes through leads to his other series where he kind of wants to be away from everyone and go back to his detective persona. Uh, so yeah, I won't I won't go yeah. too much into the details of like what led him there, but uh, I think Scott Snyder read the Justice League International stuff and was like, I think we can really put this character back at the heart of the Justice League. Uh, so I really enjoy that, and I also enjoyed the the series that came after that. So uh, yeah. very excited. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I got one more. I got one yeah, more. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, real quick. Because we're talking about again, we're talking about low key characters that don't maybe have their own series that show up occasionally. Maybe they're team members, or they show up when things are about to get real bad. And for me, the one is the demon. Whenever the demon shows up in DC Comics, again, a magic character who you know things are pretty grim if they have to summon a literal demon from hell to help them out to defeat mm-hmm. the bad the bad guys. That's a bad sign. So again, it's a character created by Jack Kirby, so I love that. Um, of course. And there's this sort of interesting sort of Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde dynamic because. There's this, you know, sort of aristocrat named Jason Blood who can summon the demon and he has this great catchphrase like uh, gone, gone form of man, rise the demon Etrigan and then the demon shows up. It's all very like showy and over the top. And I really love that. And it might be not enough to sustain a character for a like a solo series, even though Kirby mm-hmm. did like a really solid demon run in the 70s. But that character showing up again to me feels special. It feels like the the card that they have to play at the very last desperate moment to summon the demon. Uh, and again, right. the character's history is fascinating. Uh, the demon Etrigan was trapped in the body of Jason Blood by Merlin the Magician, the actual Merlin the Magician from the Knights <laughs> of the Round Table. It's great stuff. And there's so much there that I think if you just know the character in passing, you might not realize just how bizarre of a character the demon truly is. So Sure. That's so funny. Like it establishes the like King Arthur's round table in the DC continuity. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's great to clarify that it was the magician from the round table, not the archer. That's a green arrow villain uh, because yeah, exactly. people get those two confused all the time. I see. Okay. Okay. Too many Merlins. Too many. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I think if you want to read more Demon stuff, I think the Jack Kirby series from the 70s is very fun. It's fun to see Kirby do basically a horror comic through the lens of his super heroic, you know, art style. Mm -hmm. And then there was a mini series that Jim Starlin and Mike Mignola did called Cosmic Odyssey in the 80s, uh, where you get the Justice League teaming up with the new gods and the demon shows up in that. And it's one of my favorite interpretations of the character. I will say canonically, the demon is kind of always spoken in rhyme, which I thought is such a cool thing for a demon to do. But sure. not every writer sticks to that. So when a writer chooses not to have the demon speak in rhymes, it's like, not my demon, you know, not the same thing. <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask about that, Paul. Like, are you disappointed every time the writer chooses not to do the rhyming thing? Oh, it's always a bummer. It's always kind of, I'm, kind of, I'm ready to read his dialogue in iambic pentameter. And if it doesn't work, it's like, it's, it's, what am I, what am I reading here? What am I doing this right. for? <laughs> confirmed on ircb this week shakespeare is demon literature there we um, go. Yeah. so <laughs> well i appreciate you guys you know coming to me with the with these strange characters i genuinely did not see any of these coming from you guys oh, so like nice. i'm glad to be surprised that you have interest beyond batman and x-men um <laughs> but yeah very very i mean i guess maybe ben Grimm i knew for paul but zatanna sure. takes it totally throws me for a loop blue beetle for danny no idea i had no idea so um very exciting stuff so thank you all again next week on the show you can check out me and kara and paul's gonna be back we're gonna be talking about our goodreads book of the month the last one of the year a book or a comic made into a movie or a TV show. Um, We've got a lot to pick from, so it's going to be very exciting next week. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, and we got a Discord, and we got our Goodreads group. Make sure you're members in all of those things of our IRCB. You know, everything's IRCB podcast, so just do a Google search or look in the show notes um, in this episode. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast because your support powers this show and allows us to produce the amazing stuff that we put only on Patreon, so make sure you check that out. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is the falling of snow on a bright winter's morning. Why did I write that? I don't know. Thank Thank you to Brian for proof listening to this episode. Thank you to Danny and Paul for joining me. Thank you to everyone on Discord for hanging out with us. And thank you to you, the listener, for getting this far in the show. We know it's a long credit sequence, so thank you. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. the show look at that we did it <laughs> i don't know why i wrote that in the credits uh sometimes i was trying to not do something cryptid and then it just doesn't read well but uh <laughs> well he intentionally wanted us to like put in weird stuff because he was tired of me saying xander's a cool guy and he also edits the show because he said it sounded like someone had a gun to my head <laughs> yeah <laughs> i said it every time <laughs> oh brother Right, he does. Yeah, off screen, just over here, you guys can't see. Uh, there is a hologram of Xander with a gun. Um, all right, I'm gonna hit stop. Wait, holograms can't hurt you. You know that, right? What? <laughs> <laughs>